Hallelujah. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Welcome, everybody, in Jesus' name to our first word here this morning. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord together with you all this morning. And I just, I, I like to give a shout out to those that are uh, joining us online or who will watch this later in the archives. We love you, and we can't wait to see you or see you again. Uh, I am thankful for the ability to have these, uh, li to live stream these messages. I have uh, talked to many people who have told me, you know, I tuned in online today, and so that's great. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, one special person in my life, I'll just give a shout out to her, that tries to tune in uh, all the time is my grandma, who, who lives three and a half hours from here. So I'm thankful that she's able to tune in, and she always enjoys watching our services. And so, love you, Grandma. Uh, so this morning, I want to turn your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. This chapter is uh, full of some goodies, as, I, as I'll call it. Um, and it was a while ago that I did preach from the same chapter, but a different part of it, and I felt the Lord lead me back to it for today. So let's go ahead and stand, if you're able, for the reading of the Word, beginning with verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who then is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is, there, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor." For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another build thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For our time together this morning, I am going to teach and preach on this topic, laborers together. Laborers together, you may be seated, and as you're taking your seats, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for every opportunity we have to come before you in prayer. God, we know that you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I ask right now that you would open our hearts to your understanding and continue to lead us by your word. We thank you, God, that when we call on you, you answer. You hear our prayer. Lord, help me today and every day to be a vessel for you and to speak what you want today in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. In the days of his flesh, Jesus lived an eventful and busy life. In the days of his flesh, Jesus slept, ate, and grew tired just as everyone else did. But we can read that he was willing to wake up when his disciples needed him or when they feared for their lives while he slept in the boat. We read that in his flesh, Jesus knew he must be about his father's business. When he met the woman at the well, he spoke to her about the water of life, in which resulted in so many of the Samaritans receiving the revelation of his identity. He knew that the time was approaching when no one could work, 
And that drove him to touch people while time remained. He knew that his earthly ministry would soon end, so he must work while he had the opportunity to do so while here on earth. In doing so, Jesus filled every day with purpose. And like Jesus, the church must possess that same zeal and passion. We, the church, must take on the responsibility for evangelizing and training others. We must take on that responsibility to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, the name of Jesus. And in taking on that responsibility, that calling to the church, the body of Christ, we are not left empty. But let me remind you what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You will receive power. You will receive power so that you can go into the entire world and teach and baptize and make disciples of all nations. There's a field out there that is ready. There's a field out there that is white and ready for harvest. But understand this, that God does not expect one person to do it all. For Paul writes here in our passage, which I'll, I'll get back to in a bit, but it's not Paul or Apollos. It's not Myron Powell or Trevor Wilder. It's not Sister Betty or Sister Kiara. It's not just one person, but it's God that gets the increase. But with that, the church needs to function as many members with one purpose. All edifying the body. And let me just say that I am thankful to serve a church that strives for this with each service. That strives for this with each special event with each message that is preached, with each song that is sang in all things. I am blessed to be a part of this church that strives for those things. Paul emphasized this to the Corinthians because there was what is referred to as carnality in the Corinthian church. He emphasized the importance of God getting the increase because there was this carnality in the Corinthian church. It seemed as though they had forgotten what their true, excuse me, that their true purpose of the church was to exalt Jesus Christ to the point of tolerating immorality in the church, sweeping it under the rug, if you will. Factions had formed within the church. Divisions were forming in the church. Unity seemed to dissipate, as Paul wrote, because some looked to Paul and others looked to Apollos. They would only follow their favorite preachers. And if I may ask such a question, and I am not speaking this into existence, so please just hear me, but, but I want to ask again, whose church is this? And to which I would respond and say, this is God's church. This is not any other church but God's church. The moment it sweeps away from that is no longer a church at all. Amen. 
You've heard Bishop tell the story of, of the young boy when they moved here uh, who thought the church name was going to change, and I love telling this story uh, because now the Powells were the pastor of the church and how the boy thought the Church of Omaha was actually Tony's church of Omaha, and, and was, it was, he was really curious as to if the name was going to change to Powell's Church of Omaha, you know, TCOO, and now it was going to be PCOO, to which Bishop kindly corrected saying, this is God's church, not my church, this is God's church, and I know the little boy meant well, because I can see my own son saying something like that if we were to ever, you know, go to another church or do something along those lines, he would have those same thoughts like, huh. I wonder if that would actually happen, or I wonder if, if the name is going to change. Uh, he's got a very creative mind. But, but the Corinthians were following more of the man and less of the God within the man. We can gather as we read in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that some would listen to no one but Peter, others only to Paul. And Apollos was the favorite of others yet. Some were not, going to, uh, were not willing to listen to anyone, stating that they were only going to follow Christ. We read that Paul condemned this spirit of carnality. He declared to the Roman church in chapter 8 of Romans, beginning with verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. However, we can also read that the Scripture encourages us to develop into mature Christians and not to remain as Spiritual infants, as a Christian matures, they look beyond their own selfish desires to perform God's wishes, to perform God's Word, to be the church that God has called them to be. They attend every Bible study that they can. They are prayer warriors. They support the work of the church through making disciples. If you find yourself here today, struggling with this carnal mindset, here's what I encourage you to do. Begin to focus on the cause of Jesus Christ rather than your own interests. You see, sometimes we can fall into this area, this carnality, but, but, but looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, taking heed to His Word, looking to Jesus, ends that. It encourages the believer to sweep those things aside and to allow God to put you back together, to allow God to continue to mold you, to, to work out those impurities, to work out those infirmities, to work, to work out those things that maybe aren't lining quite up with Him. It's saying more of you and less of me. The cause of Jesus Christ is far greater than any of my personal interests. And if I find that something of my personal interest is getting in the way of God, then it's time that I do some shifting. It's time that I rearrange things a little bit. 
it's time that I do some rethinking. And if that needs to happen every day, or, or if that reset needs to happen every day, every week, every month, or however often, Paul was not outside the bounds of this, hear me. He wasn't outside the bounds of having to rethink and having to shift things around a little bit. For we read that Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. Paul knew that he must die daily. And if Paul knew that, how much more should we know that we have to die daily? Know that we have to continually sweep those things aside. Otherwise, they may get a little too fierce for us. And then by the time we realize it, hear me, I've said this many times, but sometimes we allow these things to come inside of us and to, and to, and to dwell inside of us. And by the time we realize that it's grown so much that Jesus is just out of the picture. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing here waiting the whole time, waiting for you to, to wake up and say, I'm right here. Sweep those things aside. Let me enter in. Let me enter into your heart so there, there, there's nothing else there. Let me, let me enter that, that, that God-sized gap that into your heart that nothing can fill but me. That, that void in your heart that nothing can fill but me. You see, sometimes, sometimes we try to fill the, 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 this, this void, if you will, with other things. Preaching to myself here. There's been many times. But it's only God can fill that. It's only God that can, that can fill that gap. It's only God that can fill that void. And once he does, church, once he does, you'll never want to get rid of him. You'll never, you'll never want to get rid of him because that gap is finally full. That, that void is finally filled. And then it spreads out. If, he, if, I, can, if I can use this terminology, it, it spreads to the rest of your heart. And then he completely consumes you. He completely consumes you. You, you can read uh, Paul here, you know, of something we can, all, we can all relate to. You know, on this road that we're walking with Jesus, there, there's going to be times, you know, where, we're, where, we, where we may walk along the road and something may catch our eye. But meanwhile, we need to stay here, you know, or, 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 or we're walking here and something just gets us off course. Maybe I've got a flat tire on a Monday morning or, or maybe I've got a, an, uh, a co-worker at work that, that, that's just not having a very good day so he decides to take it out on me. Certain things get us off course, but Jesus is there to, to, to get you back on track again. Say, hey, hey, come back to me. Come on, come on, I've handled this for you before. I'll handle it again. You know, there was, there was a time recently where I had some pretty bad car problems and I'm not a mechanic by any means and I, there were times that I did allow frustration to get the best of me, but once it all worked out, I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you. You know why? Because rather than wallowing in my sorrows over here and my wife can't be here to, to testify of it, she was standing right beside me when one thing broke and another thing broke, and I'm like, <sighs> and I just stayed quiet. Like, because <laughs> the neighbors were out, you know, and all that stuff. Everybody was having a good time, and I'm like, whew. But there I was, I'm like, well, I can either get really upset about this or I can figure out a way to fix it, yeah. right? We, we can either wallow in what we're doing over here or we can figure out the way out. And Jesus is that way out every single time. Jesus is that way out every single time. When we focus on Jesus, who he created us to be, who he desires us to be, when we put on the mind of Christ, we don't stand alone. We don't stand alone. We stand with other believers. We stand with like-minded faith believers. But we, and we unify ourselves with Christ. And we unify ourselves with others. And we unify ourselves in the interest of edifying 
the body of Christ. You know, while I was working on my car over here, if I would have had a tantrum or whatever, that would not have been edifying Christ. That would not have been edifying the church. That would have been like, oh, man, whoa, (laughs) what's his problem? But no, (laughs) I stayed silent. (laughs) Moving on. We become laborers together. We are laborers together. As as we continue in in verse 9 of our main passage for today, can you put verse 9 up there for me? For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. I want to focus on that portion for just a moment. We are God's husbandry. That that word husbandry means cultivation or, or a used or cultivated field and compares to Christ as the farmer, okay, the, the one who owned the field. We are God's husbandry. We are God's cultivated field. As the owner of the field, the farmer knows the sod, the farmer knows the seed and the type of crop that he wanted to produce. However, he could not do the work alone and needed others to assist him in the project. In the great state of Nebraska, as you, as you drive through this state, it may be very flat, but you can see cornfields on your left, you can see bean fields on your right, you can see alfalfa fields off in the distance, you can see wheat fields over here, you can see barley over here, we've got it all. These fields you see don't grow without help. Someone must cultivate the ground. Sometimes fertilizer needs to be added to the ground. Sometimes the soil has to be turned over a time or two to prevent the weeds from growing so the crop can receive all the nutrients that it needs. If it, it then takes harvesters to pick the crop and, and transport it to a place of storage. Each worker in the process performs a job. And each one is equally as important to the production of the crop. With this, each worker must recognize the overall purpose of the farming process and how each is working for the good of the husbandman. Each worker has has received an assignment and is to be faithful in his area of responsibility. In what we can see later in in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes on the importance of faithfulness in the Christian life. It says in verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Church, we are the keepers of this message. We are the keepers of His Word. God has given the key to what Paul called the mysteries of God. These mysteries are the great truths of God that God has ordained for the world to hear and know. And here is where we come in. As the body of Christ, we must be faithful to do the work the Lord has given us to do. It's not just you, and it's not just me, but it's us as the church, the body of Christ, together. When the church was birthed in the book of Acts, those that were in the upper room that day were all in one accord. They were all in one place. They were all with the same expectation. And from that point in the upper room, thousands were added to the church that same day and the gospel continued to spread unto the uttermost parts of the earth not by just one person but by many. 
Many people were responsible for spreading of the gospel. Paul, Apollos, Peter, and many others worked together for the common cause of the gospel. And as we read, Apollos may have harvested, but Paul first planted the seed. But even beyond that, the work of the Lord was not and is not and never will be to promote us as individuals. But it was is, and always will be to further the eternal cause of Jesus Christ. Each of us has a part in making disciples. Each of us has a part in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. And now turn to your other neighbor and say, it also includes you. Well done, well done. And last but not least, point to yourself and say, That includes me. That includes me. Each of us has a part. And each each person doing their part in the church is the reason the work of God continues. The church needs leaders. It needs administrators. It needs evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets, and helps. The church needs them all. Now while some of the people may become Renowned, some may become better known than others. While, while some may become better known, there are others who may work and, and never be known by anyone. Yet, they are equally important in the work of God. When we read in, in the book of Acts, when the apostles cast lots to find out who would become uh, the apostle to replace Judas, that is the only time that, that we hear of their two names, Justice and Matthias. But let me ask this, does that mean that they are any less important or crucial to the works of the church than the brothers they were sitting around that day? Does that mean it was any less important? I see a lot of you shaking your head knowing that that's exactly right. Do you think Justice just walked away with his head sunk between his shoulders because he didn't get chosen after the lots were cast? Like, oh, guess, guess I'm not good enough. No. We don't, we don't read of justice anymore after that, but I, but I can't help but have the hope that justice continued with a fiery passion, even though he wasn't chosen that day. If God has called you to be a teacher and you haven't been asked to teach, there's a field white and ready. If God has called you to be a preacher but you haven't been asked to preach, there's a field white and ready. If God has called you to be a greeter or any of those things, but you haven't been asked to greet or anything, there's someone sitting next to you that you may have not greeted yet. The list goes on and on, but I think you, you understand what I'm saying. All are equally important in the work of God. I need you. You need me. The church needs you. And you need the church. The lost and dying world needs us to unite together for the purpose of the cross. A college professor once told his class, everyone you meet can do something better than you, and conversely, you can do something better than anyone you meet. However, things only function properly when individually talented people work together for a common cause. The lifestyles of individual Christians have instrumentally won many people to the Lord while they labored together on the job. In fact, a great evangelist once stated that he did not know of a single person in any of his meetings that someone had not previously invited to the service. 
I know I wouldn't be here today had, some, had, not, had it not been for someone inviting me to service. And to give another example of people working together for a cause, we, we can look at the, the building of the, the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. We read that Moses called upon two people to oversee uh, the, the work of the building, work of building the sanctuary. And I won't try to pronounce their names here this morning, but Exodus 31, verse 2 and 6 says their names. There, there are countless other unnamed Israelites who donated materials and the work, workers included everyone whose heart stirred up to come to the work to do it. God gave the tabernacle plans to Moses, and Moses entrusted the work of skilled artisans who organized numerous individuals to complete the work together. You see, church, each of us has a part. Each of us are laborers in the kingdom. Each of us has but one task in our life, to be a worker for the Lord. As you read through the letters of Paul, you may notice that Paul presented himself to the Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians as an apostle. But, but in his letter to the Romans and to the Philippians and to Titus, he described himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. We can find that term servant in the Greek commonly described as a slave. The servant would be described as a living tool who had no rights other than those granted to him by his master. His entire purpose in life was to serve the wishes of, and the needs of his owner. Paul assumed this attitude in his service to the Lord, which therefore made him willing to endure the things that he endured for the sake of the cross, for the sake of our Lord. James and Jude, the half-brothers of Jesus, did not boast about their relationship with Jesus, but regarded themselves as servants or slaves to their older brother. Like these men, each of us is merely a laborer for the Lord who has given us something with which to work. In the parable of the talents, the Lord over the talents did not give each of them equal, they did not get equal amounts. One got five, one got two, and one got one. But he allotted them these talents according to their abilities. But, but something that may be overlooked here from this passage was that the issue was not the amount that he gave them, but what they did with what they had. The parable continues how, how two of them invested and one merely buried his talents. The two that invested received rewards according to the work that they did, and the third would have received a reward had he done the same. I have heard, and to be honest, have caught myself thinking like this, well, I just don't have the same abilities as so-and-so. I just can't do what they do. To give a more personal example, I didn't warn that I was going to talk about this, but my father-in-law is a pristine jack-of-all-trades, okay? You may not know this, and this is not, this is not, a, this is not a paid advertisement, so, um, or an advertisement at all, so please, just hear me for what it is. But, but I call him a lot because he knows ways to fix a lot of things. Guess who doesn't? <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't know how to fix much of anything, but... But sometimes I will be, I'll be talking with my wife, I'll be in the middle of working on something, or, or something will break, and she will say, and bless her heart, because I know she means well, she will say, you should probably just call my dad. Or, you could always call my dad, to which I was probably already thinking that way already, but I was trying to put it off for as long as I can. Why? Moment of transparency, you ready? There was a bit of pride creeping up in me, telling me 
that if I can't do this on my own, then why should I even try? To which I know Chris would answer that phone whenever I called. Or if he couldn't answer, he would call me back later. I would eventually call him, and he would help me out, and I'm very appreciative of those times. You see, sometimes we can, we can catch ourselves in this comparative act. You know, all along I knew that Chris was going to help me, but, but I knew that, do I have to call him for this? I think I can do it when all along I know. I knew he could handle it. I knew he had the answer. And if he didn't, we could work on it together. I just, anyways. We catch ourselves in this comparative act, comparing ourselves to one another. That could be ministry related. It could be related to, to income. It could be related to a skill or anything else that may come to your mind. But if I can help someone out, to which I've had to tell myself many times, rather than complain about what, what so-and-so has and what you don't, Start to value what you do have and work with what you have to develop it more for the use in the kingdom of God. Whatever God has given you is just as important as what he has given anyone else. I am a firm believer that God has placed me uh, where I am for his purpose. I also believe the same for you. Do you believe that for yourself? I firmly believe that God created each of us for His purpose, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We each possess different abilities and interests in life. Just like the human body, God has designed the church in this way. As a body needs various parts to function properly, so does the church need people with different talents, interests, and abilities. And to just sort of drive this point home a little bit more, I want to show you more people in the Bible who had a key role in the kingdom. Some you may have heard of and others you may have not. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was, a, was not a noted preacher in the Bible. We have no record of a sermon he preached, but what we do have is a record of some th other things that he accomplished. John chapter 1, verse, uh, starting with verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. While Andrew did not preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost, the one that he led to the Lord did. He was also the one who discovered the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish to which Jesus asked for to feed the 5,000. He was the one who demonstrated faith that the Lord could use anything presented to him. Look at Barnabas, who had a great influence in the ministry of Paul. The church was rightfully suspicious of its former enemy and was reluctant to believe his conversion account. Barnabas took the initiative and presented Paul as being a true member of the church. He was the one later who brought Paul from Tarsus and started him on his career as an apostle. Luke recorded a remarkable account of the demon from the area of Gadara whom Jesus delivered from his mighty power. Uh, by his mighty power, the one who was delivered of this de from this demon, now clothed and in his right mind, wanted to go with Jesus. He would have been a great advertisement as to the power of Jesus in any part of the country. But Jesus had other plans for the man. 
He told him to remain in his village and, and show the great things that the Lord had performed in his life. When Jesus returned to the village later, he, has, he, he was welcomed instead of questioned and being, and, and being asked to leave. Why? Well, while we don't read it directly, we can see that the man did stay in the village and share what Jesus had done. Each of these examples shows us that each of us has a role in the work of the gospel. And as I make my uh, way to close up our first word here this morning, I, I want to share with you six roles of every believer and follower of Christ. Number one, we should recognize that each of us has a work to do for the Lord. Number two, God has given each of us specific abilities and talents with which to accomplish His work. Number three, God will do His part when we are willing to do ours. On this, He will instruct and guide us if we place our confidence in Him. God will lead us, and we can indeed know His direction for our lives. Number four, we should never expect God to do what we can do. Indeed, we have a responsibility that only we can fulfill. We are the hands and the feet of the gospel. Number five, we all rejoice when increase comes. I want to touch on this one just a little bit. I, I know you've heard this before, but, but allow me to reiterate again. When we see someone being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost here, we all rejoice. When we see it happening in a church in Seward, we all rejoice. When we see it happening in someone's home, we all rejoice. When we see Pastor Lucas witnessing and baptizing someone in Puerto Rico, we all rejoice. Wherever it is, we all are a body of one. We all are the body of Christ. I know you've, you've heard it said up here, but, but, it, but if, if someone has a baptism over, like I said, in Seward, I'm not just going to sit here and be like, well, why didn't that happen here? I'm not going to wallow in that. I'm going to be like, yes! Another, another name written down in glory. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and I, and, and I, would, I would expect them to, to do the same when they see it at our church. Amen. Amen. And number six, the Holy Spirit is important in the work of the church. Yes, human talent, education, and beautiful buildings are all good to have, but these will never, I repeat, these will never replace the Holy Spirit in the church. We should seek after the Spirit of God and carefully follow his leading. You see, we will never lose when we put our energies, our abilities, our talents into the work of pulling others from darkness. When we put our energy into saving souls. When we put our energy into to teaching those Bible studies. When we put our energy into witnessing to others. When we put our energy into being the body of Christ. God will reward us based on our faithfulness, which is something each of us can accomplish. We have a responsibility for seeing the work of the Lord progress. 
We have a responsibility for seeing souls saved while it is yet day. We have the responsibility to be laborers together for the kingdom. Stand with me. We're coming to a close. So I wonder if we can just pray for the remainder of our time during this first word. That if God needs to rekindle a fire in us, that He would do it. If God needs to rebirth the desire for kingdom work in us, that He would do it. Let us pray in expectation today in Jesus' name. Jesus, I ask right now, God, that You would rekindle the desire in those here today who desire You to do so. God, that You would renew that desire in them to see the lost be saved. That they would see themselves pulling others from the fire. That they would see themselves pulling others from the darkness. That they would see those that they see daily receive salvation in Jesus' name. That they would believe in expectation that you will accomplish your purpose in them and through them. We thank you, Lord, for using your people for your purpose to save a lost and dying world in need of You. May we, Lord, take heed to that calling and be the church. May we, Lord, take heed to that calling to others and walk in a manner worthy of You and what You desire. God, I pray right now that any and every hindrance be revealed and furthermore removed right now from Your presence. In Your name, Jesus, we cast them away. We know that our redemption draws nigh, but while it is day, we want to see people saved, delivered, and healed. Come on, somebody. Let it rebirth in You right now. Oh, Jesus, let it rebirth in us right now right now. Rekindle that fire in us, oh God. We want to see others. Oh, hallelujah. We must be laborers together for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not a big I and little you. No, it's us together. Come on, somebody. Go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord. Come on. We're stirring it up in this place right now. You're stirring it up within you right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let it, let it rekindle within me. Let it burn within me, oh God, to the point that everybody I come into contact with, that they would see you and not see me because it's more of you, Jesus, that I need and less of me. I desire you to work through me, oh God. Let me be a vessel for you. Let me be a vessel for you and what you want for my neighborhood, what you want for my workplace, what you want for my family, what you want for my friends. Oh, hallelujah. And what you want for your church. Hallelujah. We see these people, oh God. You give us visions, Lord Jesus. You give us dreams, oh God, of seeing these people saved, healed, and delivered. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us walk in that, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Oh, you are awesome and holy, Jesus. You're righteous and mighty, oh God. And it's all done by you and through you. Hallelujah. 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 Let our efforts, oh God, be, be, be pushed to you, O oh God, and, and for your purpose, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I wonder if we can just put an encore and clap our hands to the Lord all over this place. He's worthy of it all. Yes, He is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we praise you, O oh God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. 
Come on, come on now. Hallelujah. Yes. We thank you, Lord. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, if there's chains that need to fall, go ahead and let them fall in this place. Hallelujah. If you need to be renewed, go ahead and let them renew you all over this place. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 We're getting ready to take our... our our 10-minute intermission here and come back for our worship service. But God bless you in Jesus' name and let us be laborers together. Amen.